0: Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. And Sam Walter, I'm John Lacombe and I'm Eric Scudman. We begin this year with a W. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about it, and we were. I, I, I know as we were previewing Purdue, as we were like getting ready for it, there was a, you know big question marks like is Purdue have they taken that next step? And um I I don't know if they have or not, but I mean that was a fun game on Thursday night, and you know if it you know wasn't for the emergence of Purdue's super freshman sensation Rondell Moore, it might have been a different uh, story at the end, but. 3127 cats win and you know we've got a lot to break down uh of, of this game you know what Eric you were there you were you know live and in person what was your takeaways just from being in the
1: stadium well it was it was definitely a hyped atmosphere um at the Aldi before the game I heard some people suggesting it was sold out they were not correct but <laughs> there there was a lot of excitement i mean you could tell the Purdue fans were fired up you could tell that um and, and honestly, I was, I was tailgating the parking lot with some folks from, uh, from the Northwestern athletic office, actually, uh, props to, to, uh, to Matt for hosting me, letting me crash their tailgate. That was pretty awesome. Um, but a few Purdue fans stopped by, like you could tell that this was a very optimistic crowd. They had basically given up Purdue football for dead and, the emergence of Brome, the team last year, like there's some excitement and some some life that's been injected into this program. I don't think, you know, nobody was thinking that, like, oh, they're back, you know, we're going to contend for the title or anything like that. It was a very realistic approach. You know, they were very generally very nice Purdue fans um, that we spoke with. So, but still, like the crowd was really, really fired up. I think they were really disappointed the way things started off. I mean, Northwestern really just kicked Purdue in the teeth and uh, got out to a big lead. And but at the end, man, they they were believing, and people were foaming at the mouth after that penalty that pretty much and, ended the game. Uh, should, should we start with that penalty? I mean
0: that that is kind of what a lot of people were talking about.
1: Can, can we start with what we got right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, game? let, let let's, start there, a lot let's start there. Let's start right. there.
2: It's gonna it's gonna take a little while. <laughs> not to pat, not to look I don't want to break my arm patting ourselves on the back we we can be uh, we
1: can be brief about it um yeah I'm gonna start like John you nailed the defense like
2: their defense just didn't have the horses that they had last year no I'm and and I think and again like they they went after it and and to be fair right if we had one difficulty and maybe it showed up in the second half a little bit and and because you talked about it at length it was getting separation Uh, in the wide receiver core, and Purdue was more than willing to play tight. Um, But what they were not able to do, and this applies to the other side of the ball, was control the trenches in any meaningful way. And I think if we were to juxtapose um, the success that Purdue had running the ball, and they did have some success with the success Northwestern had the ball, um, Purdue, it was a mix of Rondell Moore just being flippin' amazing. That guy's gonna steal Purdue a couple games this year. Um, And Northwestern missing some tackles that should have been made, which is gonna be a point of emphasis in practice, I am sure. But, on the flip side, the reason Jeremy Larkin gained 145 yards is because he had big fat holes to run through. And that's a big deal. Because we talked about the potential of this offensive line, and it was, dis- it was on display early. Um, and again, Clayton Thorson, TJ Green, clean jerseys at the end of the night. And Jeremy Larkin, a buck forty-five on the ground and two touchdowns. We just controlled the line of scrimmage. And again, I think Sam alluded to it, but it's like if Rondell Moore doesn't ball out of his mind, this game is not as close as it is at the end.
1: 100%. The O-line thing to me is was most impressive. Zero sacks, only three tackles for a loss the entire game. This is this is – I'm not going to say this is a strength of the team, but coming off of last year, I think there were a lot of question marks, and, and we documented it going into this game, that the performance of the O-line last year was much maligned, and I think so much of that was structural in the way they were managed at the beginning of the season. This group looked excellent. The holes were huge. The QBs were clean. On the other side, um, we we expected that Sindelar and Blau, are, you know, known commodities. Kind of neither one is uh, is a, is a whole quarterback that Jeff Brome would like to have, and that was on display as well. Sindelar was was gunslinging early, launched three interceptions uh, um, with his big amazing
0: arm. pick by Nate Hall. There, that was beautiful.
2: Yeah. We, <laughs> I, we're going to talk about that. Oh man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Nate, Hall, Nate Hall is, he, he could effectively be the nickelback. I think if we really wanted to play him there, um, that he's awesome. Uh, and then David Blau comes in and d- can do a lot more with his legs. That certainly helped Purdue in the second half. I think we had a little bit of, of struggle adjusting to it, but ultimately like he had some real, you know, ducks of throws his, his, uh, he was accurate, but his average uh, passes it was mostly underneath stuff 4.6 yards average um, per attempt and that's just that's just not going to get it done in in any in any power five game in in college football so uh, that that really played out and and yeah Rondell Moore was a was a total revelation DJ Knox looked really good as well I thought he had the one big 45 yarder and and a handful of other uh, decent runs but all in all, you know, this this Purdue team, uh, outside of more, they don't have a, a ton of weapons. At the same time, I think they're going to make some noise uh, in the conference this year and, and give some people some fits. They're they're pretty well coached. I thought
2: they were pretty well disciplined, uh, albeit that, that problem at the end. So it's... It's funny, too, because I we were talking a little bit before the pod, and in some ways you have the parallel with this with the bowl game against Kentucky, where we clearly were the better team, and yet the game was close and got nervy toward the end, and that's sort of what this one felt like. And I think it's funny because we've been doing this pod for six years. We've been watching Wildcats. Seven seven years. Seven years. That's right. Seven years. Seven years. That's right. Uh, we've been doing and we've been watching Wildcat football for a lot longer. And we particularly have the benefit of having done this pod while Northwestern has really had the same brain trust for for better or worse for the entire time. And you, could, you really start to realize a couple of things um, relative to both the way Mick McCall and Mike Hankowitz call plays when Northwestern has a lead. I think it's really notable because I think some people are wondering, well, how did Purdue get back in this game? Why was it so tight? It's important to realize a couple of things. One, Northwestern had the lead the entire game. Okay, So that's one of the things. And that always affects the way Hankwitz calls the ball. He's not going to roll up the corners unless we are scrambling to get back in the game. He will always do this, especially when he's got as good of a front as he does right now. So... Just as we called, Purdue piled up passing yards. 270 yards, 30 of 46 are pretty good numbers. That was all by design. Um, and it even got to the point where we realized, and it's, it's so funny, I was talking to you guys during the game, and you just saw play after play that Hankowitz is just letting Sindelar throw those flat passes. And when he does that repeatedly, we all know what's coming. He's going to put someone on the line, usually a defensive end, and then feign rush and then drop into the flats and look for a quick pick. And that's exactly what he did with Nate Hall. If you watch the replay of that interception, Hall knows exactly where... I mean, it's an amazing play by him, but the whole thing is by design. He went down onto the line, functioning as a defensive end, went right out into the flat, and Sindelar fed the ball right to him. It's by design. And on the flip side of the ball... And it, it is frustrating, but we had a bunch of drives end on 4th and 1 or 4th and 2. Now, obviously, you never want drives to end, but these are situations where, in any type of pressure situation, we're going to go for a four and, a 4th and 1. We have the good enough line to get that yard, but when, you're, when you have a lead, you're not going to. And on the flip side, when you have a defensive coordinator who's more than willing to play soft football as long as you're protecting the lead, you're not going to get a lot of blowouts. I know we'd all like it, but on the flip side, um, if Lorenzo Neal doesn't draw that personal foul, I'm still thinking Purdue's got a long field and they're going to get the very best out of our defense for this drive. Um, and, you know, as it happens, we didn't have to go that far just as well.
1: Yeah, I, I would always prefer the coaches to be a little bit more less conservative in those situations i appreciate why right like and and going into this game I think they probably looked at the x's and O's and they looked at the players and said look we have a stronger team on paper we believe we can execute better um we've got advantages in these seven spots we're gonna try to we're gonna try to exploit those we don't we are not the ones that need to to pull something over on the on the on the other team uh, northwestern was not favored but they should have been um and you know and frankly if, if Thorson was a known commodity i think they probably would have been favored but anyways point being i wish i wish that what you just described John wasn't quite true it is and th- and that's the reality um the other thing i think you know you mentioned the 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 five uh the five drives that ended up fourth and one or fourth and two we punted on all five of those there's also the qb situation we we're rotating uh, Thorson and TJ throughout the night. Thorson ended up with nine drives and TJ with five. I'll be honest; it felt a bit more like even to me watching the game. Well, and, and there but... were there were a
0: couple situations like um, Thorson came in in the middle of the final drive. I mean, there was some a few drives where it was both.
1: Yeah, so it was a little it was a little weird. What was interesting is both halves started the same way with Thorson taking the first two drives and then giving way to, to TJ. I do think um, – so I, I'm just going to put this out there because this has been a, a big conversation topic on Twitter and amongst um, message boarders and, and the general Northwestern fan community. Look, like, the rationale and the explanation that you get from Fitz whenever somebody's
2: injured – Right. <laughs> like, you right. Just, Like, you can't – Assume he's lying. Yeah, you can't <laughs>
1: – you can't whatever. You can't react to it. You can't read into it. You can't, You certainly can't take it at face value. I mean – the 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 idea that the medical staff would come running up to say oh oh it's it's cool he can go back in to hand the ball up. I don't know like, like there's, there's all sorts of weird there's really weird stuff it, like
2: it, well and it, the thing is and the thing is too right to to your point if Fitz admits that there's a pitch count then he has to answer questions about exactly what yep. the pitch count is it's much easier to just say there isn't one.
1: <laughs> well and then the, the other thing that i think people are getting too riled up or too focused on is this idea of like well how much rest you know d- like some people are saying it's it's a binary thing either he's cleared to go or, or he's not he's it, it's not like uh oh he can yeah oh he can play on it for 20 minutes and then needs to stop um but the the exact same idea is true when you think about limiting his exposure to hits. This was about protecting Thorson, not putting him out there for a full game, making sure that like I'm sure they were like part of the reason he was out on some of those drives was to see how he how his body was responding uh to the stimulus of being in the game, to make sure he like he wasn't starting to swell up or weird things weren't happening, but I really think it was about limiting the number of hits and I think they felt like I tweeted this in the beginning of the first half like they felt like they could score on Purdue at will um with with Thorson in the game and that like I think it was the Thorson came back in after TJ's two drives in the first half and uh and led led Northwestern to another touchdown and I think that put us up like what 24 to twenty four fourteen to 14 yeah and at that point it just felt like look they think they can score at will on Purdue with Thorson in there they're going to continue to rotate these guys and play TJ because they don't need to risk Thorson. It's it's the exact same rationale as your play calling analogy, John, that with a lead up in the game, feeling like they're executing effectively, they didn't need to risk it. And I think in the second half, what you saw was them start to think, Ooh, maybe we need to risk it. Um, (laughs) But Fitz is not going to articulate any of that, I don't blame him for it. I just it's a it's a weird thing, and and fans should just stop worrying about it. And I'll be honest, I I would not be surprised to see TJ have a couple drives against Duke. I hope. Are we are we upset about seeing TJ? No, Green I, I, I was gonna, I was just I was just going to say, you know, <laughs> give TJ Green young, some credit, young
0: Mister yeah, Green. He, he looked yeah. he looked good. I and mean, is he as good as Thorson? No, but he looked solid, and you know the team was playing well under him.
1: So. You know, i I'm... i think we're gonna need I think we're gonna need every bit of Thorson to beat Duke. That's the only reason I, I bring it up in that in that vein. But um, I wouldn't be surprised to st- to still see some rotation. Like Thorson goes in for for two or three series, and then comes out for one or two. I wouldn't be surprised if they do that sort of thing next game as well.
2: I think to me the the most telling play of the night was I think it was on a third and eight, and Thorson rolled yeah. out. And had the, I mean, he could have gone for those two yards and he was just like, I'm not doing this and just went right out of bounds. And I think everyone was okay with that. And in that moment, you're kind of like, okay, so basically what we have is a guy who's totally comfortable in the the pocket, he's totally comfortable rolling out. But he can feel the difference and he knows the wrong hit in a bad way is going to aggravate that thing. And... Given that, yeah, it's, you're just playing the numbers. And especially, again, I think what what we saw of TJ Green, the arm strength is not what Thorson's arm strength is, certainly. Um, he doesn't have the same. But he's mobile. He's heady. Um, and for a guy playing in his first game, you know, a, a walk-on, playing in his first game uh, on the road in the Big Ten, looked just fine. It was funny. I, I hadn't actually thought about that until I was in a conversation with someone about that tonight. And it was like... Well, TJ green doesn't need a scholarship. <laughs> there is always, that. there is always that exactly the green, the green, the green family doing okay. Um, but <laughs> so, um, but I mean, I, I'm totally comfortable having him as the backup, um, the backup quarterback. And I think, yeah, it's, it's limiting the contact to this point though. And I know we'll, we'll pivot here eventually. Um, uh, Duke's, Duke's got some ponies on that defense. And I think there, I mean, you saw what Purdue did. And I think if, if there's anything that's that's worrying me, and Scuzz was all over it um, in the lead up to, to the Purdue game, it's the, the difficulty of the wideouts to get separation. Now, we've got guys who can catch balls in tight spaces, uh, Ben Skoranek, Flynn Nagel. But in terms of guys getting that separation, we didn't see a lot of that in the Purdue game. Um, and, you know, Purdue was was more than happy to, to stuff guys up front and, and try to contain the run game, and we were still able to push right through that against some of the tougher defenses that may be an issue. I will say one thing. Um, with Thorson, you know, he he was missing
0: high a little. Like, when he was missing, he was missing high. Um, and I, I wonder if that's, you know, just trying to recalibrate, you know, with, with the knee you know, maybe, maybe it is a hundred percent and maybe it's not. And it doesn't matter cause he's playing. So I'm not worried about, you know, if he was medically cleared, great, let him play and, you know, let his, you know, pitch count what it is. But, you know, he did seem to be a little high with a lot of, um, a lot of his misses. So I'm wondering, you know, will that dial in as he gets more and more reps? You got to think it would.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, totally. I, I, the the other thing I'll, I'll comment on John, you, you talked a lot in our preview about the way that McCall schemes to get guys open. And uh, I talked a bit about how I think that the effectiveness of our O-line and the explosiveness of Jeremy Larkin essentially makes McCall's scheming with the wide receivers a lot more effective because we can run to set up the pass and, I thought they did pretty well getting Nagel, uh, Lee's a couple times into open space. Cameron Green looked pretty decent as well, and, and yeah, some of them were tight catches, but you saw plenty of kind of the the drag across the, the across the, the the middle of the field, kind of short five to five to ten yard pass that ends on the on the opposite sideline from Nagel from Lee's. Those worked pretty well. Skaronic head is one you know 40 yard catch downfield where he just outperforms a, a cornerback in in the air and uh and comes down I with seem, it
2: i seem to remember someone saying that he was going to have a catch like that <laughs> yeah every game
1: every game guys um i was surprised that we didn't see more from the notorious rcb he had a nice catch early on and then kind of disappeared um and it does seem like we went we went away from attacking outside to more of just uh short crosses uh, over the middle and maybe Purdue's defense adjusted in some way that I I wasn't able to pick up on but I don't know I I think I think the passing game is going to be a work in progress we had a question about Solomon Vault and whether or not he was going to see the field you know we haven't heard anything I think it's it's pretty easy to to look at um, the fact he's coming back from injury and and guess he might not be right yet We've heard that Jalen Brown. I think his uh, there's some some news on the message boards that may have come from him, some of his family members that he's he's been dealing with a nagging injury, um, potentially out another month or so. So, but the good news is we have you know so many guys and so much diversity in, in our in our wide receiver core. Cam Green is is everything I hoped he would be. Uh, Nagel and Skaronic look as advertised. So it's just making sure that there's enough other guys to rotate in and keep them fresh.
2: I want to give two specific helmet stickers because they're guys uh, that we haven't talked about yet, and one of them I can't believe how how we haven't talked about him since I, I think maybe half of his family is listening Dude, to this podcast wait, potentially. Wait a
1: minute, do we need do we need a pirate themed helmet sticker uh, situation that we just do, like give out every week?
2: I Probably, know, yeah, yeah, maybe Pi- pirate booty. <laughs> we some pirate, pirate booty. There you go. Um, well, let me start right off, uh, especially. If, if any of his family's listening um, new friends of the pod Greg Newsom we talked about it last week that he was a guy to keep an eye on because he is a future star in a in a, at a position of need and by the end of the game Greg Newsom was our number two cornerback he was nickelback early went to number two cornerback uh, I thought it would happen I didn't think it was gonna happen <laughs> in half a game <laughs> but um, Greg Newsom was our fifth leading tackler of the game, and had a pass breakup and looked really good out there. Let let, uh, let me tell you about his best tackle.
1: Maybe it's not best, but it's just the one that stood out most to me, and that is that you know we talked about Rondell Moore, the Purdue running back. There were one one of the things they started doing with Moore was running him um, on kind of like this sweet play outside, and they'd bring their tight end he turned towards the line and block out the defensive end which would essentially leave more one-on-one with the corner and twice he just dusted the hell out of Trey Williams um, and b- like basically juked past him and then was you know downfield for a 20 plus yard yard run after Greg Newsom got swapped into that starting cornerback spot they ran this play again and Greg Newsom said no and shut Rondale Moore down in, in the open field, this resulted in a great celebration from his family, which was sitting just a few rows in front of me. And it was a really it was a really fun um, and exciting moment. It got the, the, what was a sizable NU section? I should have said that earlier. A sizable NU section got to their feet for the ensuing third down. It was just, it was a really fun uh, spot in the game. And yeah, that, that dude is excellent and is going to be starting, I would assume, the rest of the year
2: i think so i think yes i think the greg newsome era has arrived very quickly so hey hey john we have two
1: good corners now
2: (laughs) i know know. knock wood um i mean we're gonna need them um again we'll pivot to duke but uh they boy dan jones can sling it um my other pirates booty i'll give out uh this freshly minted award. Minted in real time. Uh, Jared Jared Thomas. Speaking of guys that we were excited to see, uh, Jared Thomas looked good out there. Um, I mean, flanked by Butler and Doles, but Scuzz talked about the potential of of that pulling run game, and they were pulling, but they were pushing dudes around too. Yeah, I mean, just I I saw this very clearly on
0: Larkin's first touchdown, but the pulling guards... I mean, it was textbook, exactly what we talked about in the preview, but guards pulled, hole wide open, and Larkin
2: just walked into the end zone. Yeah, and I I even like Thomas's shape. He's a real bowling ball of a center. (laughs) Like, I, like, just, just, he's just chubby in the right way. Like a guy who you, like, like, you know, like the ball at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, this guy's just going to just run you over, and I, I love it. Um... And, again, I think it's not an accident that Larkin had enormous holes like that. And, and it's going to be a big test this coming week against Duke, but um, at least early this line looks ready to go. I'll,
1: uh, I'll throw out one more Pirate Booty Award, and that is to Jeremy Larkin himself. Um, he stole mine. That's what we, I was
0: going to do, but go ahead. <laughs> sorry, sorry, dude.
1: We, uh, we didn't talk a ton about him in our preview, I think, because we, were all, we all felt pretty good about what we saw from him last year. We felt like he was a bit of a known commodity. Obviously, he's a, he's fleeter of foot than Justin Jackson was. Still possesses a lot of the same uh, lateral uh, movement to be able to get free and get yardage. And he was simply spectacular against Purdue. Twenty-six carries, one hundred and forty-three yards. It's been talked about a lot. Two TDs. That one. That one big forty-six yarder up the gut. Uh, he he really put the offense on his back, I thought in a situation where there was questions uh, in the, in the, in the quarterback position and uh, was outstanding. He he caught four, four passes for 20 yards as well. Generally passes that uh, took him into the flat. And then he was uh, crunching his way through contact. And this, this guy is going to be awesome for Northwestern um, over his career. I'm, I'm really excited for the way it started. I think, you know, again, he—he, he, I don't think he's gonna get thirty plus carries a game like Justin Jackson did. I never loved it when we did that when we did that with JJ. It just felt like um, uh, tempting fate a little bit. So, I think I think twenty six to twenty eight is probably the max you're gonna see from Larkin most games this year. There's plenty of guys to back him up uh, in in Moten and um, Isaiah Bowser got some time on special teams. You know, there's there's a couple other guys uh, waiting in the wings as well, but what a what a statement game from him and NU fans everywhere are breathing a sigh of relief. I think Justin Jackson tweeted about two or three months ago, um, as fall camp was starting. Some people were, you know, making noise about. Uh, I think it was a video that NU Sports put out, you know, around around Jeremy Larkin in practice or whatever. And Justin Jackson uh, responding to some commenters saying, "Oh, we're going to miss Justin so much," said, "No, you won't." This guy, this dude's got it, and he does
2: he's if there's one word I'd use to describe him, it's comfortable. he just looks you know back there for a guy who technically is is this is his first game as the bell cow um he just looked really comfortable working with the line like his his speed was right he would you know he wasn't getting the holes before they opened up it was just there was a lot of synthesis there. And and also because in the post game press conference, man, is that a guy who wears the mantle of team leader, face of the team? Um, first of all, good looking kid, but really comfortable answering questions. Uh, big smile, um, just up there like he's up there like he's been giving these conferences for two years, and this is his first time out of Justin Jackson's shadow. So yeah, Jeremy Larkin is ready to be a face of the program, um, uh, big time for sure. One other thing I want to throw out. I wouldn't say pirate booty because, I mean, certainly this wasn't a huge statistical well, hold, thing. Hold really. on. Sam
1: might have some No, no. I, you oh, you stole ahead. mine. That's
0: fine. I'm good. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> Gosh, I wouldn't want it to happen He's, two Sam's times in a row. Sam's not bitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's going to be reminding me of those three points. Oh, no. I, I'm going first next week.
2: <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Let me just say, so as long as we're talking Sam, or in this case, Sam Dope Miller, um, for a guy who – On the stat sheet, has two tackles and one TFL. That is not a measure of his contribution in this game. He abused their left tackle all game. And there was a clock on Sindelar and Blau every single play. And to say those guys never felt comfortable in the pocket, especially Sindelar would be a huge understatement, because Sindelar was just making bad decisions left and right, and those were pressure-induced situations, every single one of them. With the exception of the one where he just fed the ball to Hall, which was a design play on our part, the other two picks were pressure picks. He was just feeling the heat and and unloaded it. So, um, you know, not to give short shrift to the defensive line, because they were dominant. Um, we've been uh, hinting at it for a while.
0: Shall we talk about this weekend's game against Duke? Yes, uh, Duke do coming it. off a uh, thirty-four to fourteen win over Army. Um, you know, com- comes into Evanston this weekend. Uh, they looked really good, and yeah, I mean, it's Army, and you, you know exactly what Army is. They run the ball, but uh, the you know. Duke looks kind of scary, and we 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 were nervous about this game going in. And you know, Daniel Jones is the real deal, and he looked pretty good against Army.
1: Yeah, he he did. And again, so you said it right at the top. But let's let's quash this right now. So Army is not the greatest team. However, they went ten and three last year. They brought back eight starters on defense, uh, that included wins at Duke. Or uh, at Air Force, they beat Duke last year. Army beat Duke twenty-one to sixteen. So that might be part of why there's such a beat down here from the Blue Devils. Uh, Army beat Navy. They beat Temple. They went to a bowl game um, for the for the second time in like twenty years. Uh, not quite. Not quite. But this is not the Army that you've been hearing about for the last ten years. It's just been been abysmal. They're they're decent. But that being said they they tend to give up um a fair number of passing yards 386 yards at North Texas last year 300 against Temple 316 to Ohio State 240 to Fordham so the fact that Daniel Jones did well is not a surprise to me i think it's i think more so it's that duke continues to be the thing that we're scared of and that's the thing that annihilated us last year that Seems to have hit 2018 uh, running, you know, building upon where they where they were last season, and it's just a tough matchup for us. Um, Jones also carried the ball ten times for 43 yards and a TD. That's pretty good. And you look at what David Blau did to us, um, being a bit of a of a dual threat QB. He he got he only had 19 on the ground, but that uh, includes some some sack yardage. I, th- that ability to extend plays with, with the feet is is you know the biggest Achilles heel for our defense. Our line has so much speed, and our our linebackers um, are good enough in coverage. Uh, Gallagher had a great game uh, against Purdue, and you know we've seen what Nate Hall can do. He seems to be back fully healthy after being injured at the end of last season. So I, it, it's it's tough. We're we're gonna learn we're gonna learn a lot about our D um next week because i think i think purdue put some pressure on them but duke is really going to challenge them uh
2: duke yeah duke is a good team who had a bad run of luck last year and right i think to me the the big thing and this was a problem for us last year when we played duke is um when young throws the ball he's got a gun but the way they use that effectively is on the short over-the-middle throws, especially out of a fake-of-play action or an RPO situation, he gets it to the receiver quick. And that's not good for us because, again... We Hankowitz tends to like to try to play against teams that you know basically force things underneath. Well, Duke's happy to play that way. That's kind of like the way their passing offense works. You go see it against Army. Um, they'll just he'll just gun it on a slant route, get to the wideout as quickly as possible, and they'll try to get some yak. Um, and yeah, I mean when you combine that with the fact that like Scott says, he's good on his feet. Um, he's a real problem area, and Duke's offense is going to be problematic um, from that perspective. And on the flip side, I, and again, you know, like Scuzz said, yes, it's Army, and yes, they're playing a different system, and they don't have the ponies. But Duke was just wreaking havoc up front in this game. I mean, one guy who just jumped out is Edgar Serenord, their main defensive tackle. The guy's a monster. Uh, I think he's like six one, three hundred pounds, um, and Again, I mentioned this in the summer, but Duke's defensive line is way better than it has historically been. Um, and that's going to be an issue. I think it's, I mean, you have with Purdue, it was kind of Lorenzo Neal and change. Um, Duke is going to have a bunch of good defensive linemen out there um, with, you know, Joe Giles Harris behind them. And Giles Harris was nicked up this past week, I think. He was nicked up, and Britton Brown, the running back, was nicked up too. But both of them, I think, sounds like they're going to be ready to go. So um, they're – Dukes, they're – again, it's, you can't say a front seven because they don't play that kind of defense, but they're good up front. Um, and they're going to – that defense is going to test us.
1: Well, one, you know, silver lining, uh, Army threw for 197 yards against this team. Army, Army never th- throws the football. They they threw for only 300 yards last year. And they and they almost hit 200 in this game. They averaged 9.4 per attempt. That's really impressive. Um, I was
2: I was surprised Duke does not have for a team that starts five defensive backs, they don't have as good of a number 2 corner as you'd expect them to.
1: Yeah, so I mean like that's that's a potential silver line that we can take advantage of. Uh, again, it, it, it falls to our QBs. You know, we have much more of a balanced attack than Army to begin with, so they may have been throwing out of desperation because Duke was just selling out against the run, uh, in, in part because they were up so much. I mean, Duke ran, Duke ran out of the gates uh, in this game; they were they were up seventeen zip in the first half. So uh, it was you know a, a rushing team's gonna have a lot of trouble coming back from that. The one other thing I want to point out. Somebody that did not hit the radar as we were previewing Duke back in the summer is wide receiver Aaron Young. So this guy played a little bit last year, uh, averaged you know 13.7 per catch, had you know 200 some yards on the season. One of the things I talked about in the Duke preview is that they didn't have a really big downfield threat. TJ. Roming is their superstar speedster guy that uh, just causes all sorts of mismatch problems on jet sweeps and uh, getting out into space, but he's an underneath receiver. Aaron Young caught uh, four receptions for 114 yards in this game. Now, granted, he had one 61-yard TD, but still, uh, he emerged as a a deep threat option for, for for Duke that they didn't especially have last season. And, you know, he's not a giant receiver. He's not the type of guy that that has given Northwestern a lot of problems in the past, but it's something to, something to watch out for uh, is that they've got two guys uh, now in their receiver core that, that we need to do account for. Not just Roming, who who terrorized Northwestern last season, and
0: you know John really hit the nail on the head. You know their run pass option, they were just running to perfection against Army, and that that's something that we're really going to have to stay at home on, and it's hard to do. You know uh, RPO is there's a reason why the RPO is kind of taking over as the in offense to be running, and you know Duke runs it really really well. Cutcliffe obviously knows all the latest and greatest in, in offensive stuff. He's just an offensive mastermind. Um, and, you know, so we're really going to need to to stay at home on that RPO and, uh, you know, cover everything possible. It's
1: it's going to be tough. Did you guys notice if Purdue was doing a lot of that?
2: No, they weren't. They weren't. Um, but I think – but to, to Sam's point, though, uh, the, the the juxtaposition I was going to make is – Rondell Moore I mean that what they cleared their goal was to get him touches and get him in space and Duke did a lot of that with Army too. Duke was I mean Jones was throwing to receivers who were two three yards downfield and then those guys were making plays and especially since we had some tackling issues. Um, that's going to be the thing. I think it's going to be like Sam said, you know, discipline, coverage, discipline, but you know, Mike's going to let them run that stuff underneath at least to start the game. So it's going to be on, you know, wrapping up, um, you know, dropping those things at three, four yards downfield. here. Here's one thing to note that
0: could just kind of put everything in flux on just taking a look at the, uh, weather forecast for this weekend, uh, rain and wind. You know, 15 to 20 mile an hour winds uh, with a 60% chance of rain. So it's going to be, well, I, as we record this on Monday, you know, it's still plenty of time, but, you know, it could be a bad weather game. And that kind of changes a lot.
1: Yeah. I mean, Jones was a significantly worse QB on the road last year. Um, almost a 10% drop in complete. Well, I should say a 7% drop in completion percentage uh yards per attempt was was much lower. T D to pick ratio was pretty even, uh, much higher sack rate. So I mean that like that happens to everybody. I, I can't say that it happened to him to him more than others, uh, per se, but that is a factor that we played them at their best last season and we get them at least in a more friendly format this weekend. And and honestly that weather stuff I think plays better into into our hands given the 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 strength of our offensive line running game etc
2: i think too it's it's important for northwestern fans to keep a dose of perspective here i know people you know you get stars in their eyes and it's like yeah if we beat duke most likely we're gonna be ranked when we play michigan and you know it's easy to get caught up in just the hullabaloo of that but you have to remember the purdue game meant a heck of a lot for us much more than the Duke game means. Duke is probably a better team than Purdue, but that would the Purdue game was a conference game that really matters in the scheme of things in a season where we're going to have a lot of really big conference games. So if push comes to shove and there's some packages or plays or things we're sitting on where we could pull them out and that would be the difference in the Duke game. Don't just expect that you're going to see all of that stuff. Um I mean, yes, it's a real test. Duke is a good team. I think they're a real even match with us and this one could go either way, but the Purdue game was the more valuable game especially since that game was on the road so yes we really wanted and yes i mean we're going to get off to a heck of a start if we pick up this duke win but don't forget what the back half of the schedule looks like um and how many big monster conference home games there are for us so what what's funny john is i,
1: I, I when you started to say that i thought you were going to take the opposite tack which i will take now and that's that and <laughs> you fans get, you know I know that we all lost some time off of our lives in the last, you know, third of that game against Purdue, but, you know, the quarterback rhythm was weird. The offense was a little bit out of sync. A lot of things that we thought were going to be strengths were strengths, and this team is, um, there's no reason to think that we can't compete with Duke and that we can't beat them. Uh, and to your point, John. Yeah. Oh,
2: for sure. Sh- oh, absolutely. I completely agree. <laughs>
1: yeah. I just. I think. I think there are people on opposite ends of the spectrum right now, right? Like some people are thinking, like, "Oh my God, we almost lost the Purdue game. What's wrong with us? They're terrible. Like, we're gonna fall apart against Duke." And then there's also people that are thinking, like, if we don't win this Duke game, that like, the the earth is gonna fall down. So yeah. So yeah. A. We should. A, be, I mean, you, Purdue is not yeah. terrible.
0: They're they're going to beat some teams this year. Yeah. That, that's
2: yeah, a, that's
1: they're going to cause some problems.
2: Rondell Rondell Moore is going to yeah. beat some teams this year. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: and B, we're you know we can't overlook Duke. Duke is a good team that beat the crap out of us last year. So you know if if we lose to them, it's not the end of the world. They're a good team. Beating Purdue, they're a good team too. So you know you can't make these overarching generalizations after week one. You know, we, we got to get a, a, several games in before we really start to know exactly what we have.
2: If anything, I'm I'm really excited to see. I mean, we've got right four four defensive linemen, five offensive linemen. I thought those nine guys and their reserves were just fantastic against Purdue. And this is going to be a tougher defense. And I'm just I'm excited to see how these guys rise to the challenge, especially the offensive linemen. They're gonna be going up against Edgar Serenord, Victor Demukijay, like good defensive linemen. And I mean, I think they're up to it, and I just can't wait to see that battle play out.
1: So now that we've uh, assured everyone or or encouraged everyone to not have knee-jerk reactions to the first week of the season. Give us a knee jerk reaction. We, well, can <laughs> we have some knee-jerk reactions to all the other teams in the game? Absolutely. <Yeah>. Yeah.
0: Um, so every, almost everyone in the Big Ten won week one. Um, two exceptions. Uh, <laughs> one, Nebraska and Akron canceled. Uh, thanks, Lightning. Uh, which is a bummer because I really wanted to see both those teams. And, you know, especially with this whole, you know, the savior, Scott Frost coming back home. And, you know, there's it, another week of that, that- ramp up to, to that first game.
1: That's the greatest thing, though, is that like the most anticipated home opener in a decade at Nebraska had to be canceled <laughs> because of I weather.
2: Think, although, Scuzz, I'll say you texted you texted us and you were like, "How hilarious will it be if Nebraska doesn't play?" And my response is, "It's going to be more hilarious when Nebraska does play." That's like the that's the general thing. I think well, yes, hilarious, but not as hilarious as as the Nebraska team we might have seen. Well, and Sam is lying because. He's really excited that Nebraska
1: didn't get to play <laughs> and didn't get to get any you know kinks out or try anything or test anything or get anything at game speed because his Colorado, Colorado Buffaloes whooped up on Colorado State last uh, last week. Colorado State, who is and,
0: abjectly awful this year,
1: but well, Still, like I know that you are foaming at the mouth to get the Cornhuskers oh, yeah. into uh, in, into Colorado's clutches next weekend. Yeah, Nebraska
2: needed that game, and they're yeah, they, and they're not going to get it. Ta kind I on, love baby. it I love it
0: yeah um the the other big Ten loser well the only big Ten loser uh was Michigan against Notre Dame um Notre Dame very good Michigan defense pretty solid although you know Brandon Wimbush looked better than I thought I gave him credit for but uh, mm, uh at times uh. <laughs> at, I mean he was throwing the ball down the field he was more accurate than I thought he would be
2: this was a weird game. Weird uh, pardon, p- game.
1: So, uh, Notre Dame, pretty good. Michigan defense, yes. Offense, not as much. Eric, very wrong about this game.
2: <laughs> I. It's funny, though, because we talked about this ad nauseum, just the three of us. But I didn't get a chance to watch this game until the end. And at the end, the part that I got to watch, Michigan looked pretty good. Shea Patterson is really mobile. Um, yeah, and, he, and really he, he's really run. mobile.
0: That's not the offense that Michigan runs. Uh,
2: yeah, I know they and got it, a, they got a real mismatch. It was it was strange, and um, and of course, yeah, they had real trouble putting them. And again, that's a problem because I, from what I saw of Patterson, I was like, wow, um, this guy's you know got a little well, Russell Wilson, a little Jeff Garcia to his game. I think kind of down the stretch, if anything, I think on that final play, um, he's. He's too confident sometimes in his ability to get away from pressure, and I think that's what ultimately bit him at the end. Um, but the but again, I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from Notre Dame. I think we thought they'd be a really good team. I think – I still believe they're ranked a little high to start the season, and I feel like now it's only going to be – people are only going to believe that they're a top-ten team, and I just don't know that they're that good of a team. But again, I still feel – I mean, Winbush – To me, I'm like, I saw him. Everything we've come to expect from him, good and bad, I feel like that guy is out there, and ultimately they're still tethered to him for better or worse. Michigan, I don't know. I mean, the bottom line is, I mean, this isn't a – it's not a Big Ten game. Yes, it's a big – eyeball game but if Michigan just starts ripping off conference wins left and right I think you know it'll be easy to put this in the rear view mirror but um, yeah again not taken away from Notre Dame I mean they clearly they they had enough to win your, uh, but your, I don't know
1: your Wimbush point is spot on though he was 12 of 22 for 170 yards and he had 19 carries for 60 yards he averaged 3.1 on the ground this is like the Wimbush we saw all of last year and he happened to be playing an inept offense. I like Notre now Notre Dame's defense is freaking unreal. They are really, really good across the board, but like Wimbush threw a touchdown pass that should have been picked off, except that it was the first play that Michigan's backup safety was on the field for after just a a heinous, heinous on the player, not on the refs, heinous targeting penalty, uh, from Michigan safety. And I like, there were probably two or three other throws that I thought Wimbush just kind of got lucky. Um, I I don't know, like I didn't I didn't see any improvement over last year. Now he was certainly a bit more calm, maybe under pressure in the waiting moments. Like maybe last year's Wimbush uh, fumbles the ball or forces something and throws a pick uh, late in the game because Michigan was coming at him like crazy. But the other thing I noticed, um, and I agree with you, you John, that that Patterson is is kind of scary. I thought Dylan McCaffrey looked pretty good as well and, and very similar in style to Patterson. But Michigan was so undisciplined. So many crazy penalties, uh, completely losing their cool. It's like they were channeling all of the worst things about Harbaugh. Uh, what I noticed early on, like the, the first quarter, every single play, Rashawn Gary, and I forget the name of the other guy on, on Michigan's D-line. Uh, was it Brandon? Uh, oh, Chase Winovich. They were annihilating Notre Dame's tackles, just beating them off the ball but they were just running straight up field and they were leaving Wimbush with a, with a perfect pocket and they couldn't seem to do anything else. I mean, there were a couple of different plays where they ended up crashing into each other in the backfield because Wimbush just stepped forward at the right time. And it just, it seemed like Michigan came in with a lot of uh, anger and, um, you know, energy and oh, we're going to go get them. And they didn't have a plan uh, on either side of the ball. And, I, like, I I don't understand how Michigan isn't better running or blocking um, their offensive line is, is, a, is a disaster right now. Uh, we talked way back in our preview of them that, you know, when their offensive coordinator left slash was asked to leave, that Harbaugh never named a replacement. He brought in the old O-line coach from uh, from Ohio State, and now, you know, there's a QB coach and an O-line coach and an O-line or an, and an offensive something or other, and... Maybe nobody's running the ship and it seems like nobody was running the ship. Uh, you know to your point I, to your guys' point, I think Michigan may, might perfectly well be fine, but that was just a mess. I'm just you know fascinated by the fact
0: you look back at Michigan's last 18 games and they're a 500 team. and everyone you know thinks that they're the greatest thing since sliced bread and you know they've lost four games in a row you know going back into last year in the bowl game I'm just going to stop there
2: I yeah it's crazy I uh, I'll stop there too cuz I <laughs> we let's uh, I'll be very interested to see what Michigan looks like over the next couple of weeks. Let's put it that way. All right. Poor poor, poor
1: Western Michigan has to play this yeah. <laughs> week. I just want to rapid fire through the rest of the,
2: the Big Ten
0: slate. Um, Minnesota beat the crap out of New Mexico State. Any takeaways?
1: I mean, they looked, they looked pretty darn good doing it, but, um, I'll wait, I'll wait until they play a real, a real team. Uh, they've got one this weekend. Uh,
0: Wisconsin all over Western Kentucky. That game was just never in doubt. Horny Brook looked good. Jonathan Taylor. I mean, they're Wisconsin. They looked great. Moving on. Check uh michigan state had all they could handle with the utah state and you know really i thought was not the better team on the field that day
2: so there's a big asterisk for this one um which is utah state may end up being really good jordan love is the real deal as a quarterback he gave michigan state who we've talked about yes he had two picks but he also threw for 319 yards and was really effective on drives late in the game. And Michigan State, we knew coming in, does not have a particularly great pass defense. And Utah State just diced them up. Um, so again, I it's, it's tough to know. Michigan State's certainly not used to giving up 31 points uh, to a non-Power 5 team. Um, and we're lucky to escape, but... I do think Utah State, you know, at the end of the day, they may have double-digit wins by the end of the year.
1: Maybe more more concerning for Michigan State is that L.J. Scott looked very pedestrian running the ball. Um, Connor Haywood came in late in the game and looked awesome running the ball, so maybe they're going to be fine there. But the other thing is that Cody White and Felton Davis are absurd wide receivers, and I think Michigan State is going to yep. be just fine. I, our take on their offense was that if they just, like – release the hounds a little bit and let Lewerke and those receivers, you know, do their thing. They're going to be just fine. But if they try to run the ball uh, twice as often as they throw the ball, they're going to be in in trouble. Um, This game, they had to pass to, to win. But if they, you know, if they get in one of these situations where like they're trying to close a game out on the ground and they just can't do it and give up a last, a last minute score, they, they could be in trouble.
0: Uh, Ohio state, all over Oregon state, Nothing to go into there. Penn State. What we- called? A...
2: I will let I'll let Scuzz talk. I'm not saying anything about this game until my final thought. <laughs> I will let Scuzz go.
1: I just like Penn State's offense looked crazy. Like everything you they scored 45 points, but that's because they got a TD and OT. And they got a miracle TD at the, in in the fourth quarter at the very end of the game, but their offensive line is a catastrophe. Uh, I I don't know that it's it's not worse than Michigan's, um, but only because of Michigan is trying to do stuff that their offensive line is like is like incompatible with their offensive line. Like Appalachian State was in the backfield all the time in McSorley's face all the time. It was. A major problem um they did not have I mean they rushed for for 200 yards uh on the ground so they had, they had an okay day on the ground but I I think Penn State's offense is in trouble without uh Joe Moorhead calling the shots I think I think they looked confused at times and they, they went, I mean they were going three and out and just like all over the show maybe they figure it out but this is not the Penn State we saw the last two seasons. Does, does it it's remind you a little be. bit of the Penn State we saw pre-Joe Moorhead? Yes, yes. The the consternation on James Franklin's face as he's trying to figure out if he should call a timeout or just let the clock run at the end of halves and games like I was I was amazed he didn't screw it up at the end of the, this game against App State. Um they're just they they are he is not a good coach in those situations and you know, one one of the things I've heard some people talk about, I forget the name, uh, Ricky Ronnie is the is the offensive coordinator that's taking over. He's been the, the quarterback's coach there. He's certainly been good for Trace McSorley. He is not a Joe Moorhead guy. He was there before Moorhead. He's only had two years to study that system. It is not his wheelhouse. I just I, I think they're gonna gonna have trouble this year. McSorley has all the talent in the world. They have absurd talent at receiver. Miles Sanders is good a good running back but they are not going to be able to put pressure on teams like they did in the past. And this defense, Ooh boy. Uh, I'll stop there. Is Texas back?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Back, back where? (laughs) My
1: favorite tweet was uh, uh, basically about like scheduling a home and home with Maryland and losing both games. And when you like, when you put it in that context, Oh, it's so, it's so juicy.
2: I just want to say, I mean, again, we've talked about that Maryland is, you know, is a mess both on and off the field. Um, and I don't I don't want to sell them short because they picked up a win over a ranked opponent. Now, what was being smoked by the people who thought Texas should be ranked to start the year? I have no idea. I do. But it was really still, good marijuana. Oh, God. I. Uh, but, again, I mean, credit, credit to you, Maryland. I mean, again, Texas had the leading – Passer, rusher, and receiver in this game, and um, and somehow didn't um, didn't win the game. But when I watched especially the end of this game, um, I just came away being like, "This is Texas, and they just look awful." Um, I this is a team that has USC, TCU, and Oklahoma coming up in short order, um, and I think they're at Kansas State this is a team that very likely will be 2-4 and four in a couple of weeks and possibly 1-5. and five. And they were 7-6 and six last year and were still ranked to start this season. Um, and if you believe that that's by anything other than Tom Herman's name and the color of the laundry, I don't know what to tell you. But still, yeah, Maryland's got their... Maryland, not a particularly good football team, has nonetheless beaten Texas to start both of those seasons. So... Don't make the mistake of reading too much into uh, this. Speaking
0: point. of atrocious football, um, the, I think the less we have to say about the Kent State Illinois game, the better. But <laughs> what?
2: What? I've booked fifteen <gasps> minutes to talk about. Oh God, I, Illinois! Sam, never make me stop talking about this <laughs> oh. game, Sam. Uh, I, I, again, we tweeted about it uh, during the game. Illinois scored three points in the first half against Kent State, and that was on, I believe, a seven-play, 18-yard scoring drive that ended with a 50-yard field goal. That was Illinois' offense in the first half against Kent State. I noticed that uh, pass interference became a thing that
1: only applied to one team in the second half. Um, I think... Uh... I don't know. I like Illinois should have lost. I was so upset that they didn't lose that game. Kent state made some boneheaded decisions, especially on offense. They, they were forcing some things and had some problems. Um, Illinois has discovered, I mean, they've got a couple of pretty darn good linebackers now. Um, there's uh there's the kid that was coming back that we all knew was going to be the guy. And now they, they found a, a second banana to, to go alongside him. But Oh, my God, I can't wait to see them get
2: into conference play. It's going to be awesome. I So I will say, we found out about this, I think, earlier today. I mean, it's so, so sad. Mike Dudek is finally done playing college football. I mean, the guy's, you know, God, i amazed he can walk at this point, the amount of time he's lost with injuries. But I can't stress this enough. Um, Illinois gives... Illinois' nominal number one running back. I guess maybe not their number one running back, but, um, Mike Epstein, who is clearly an FCS running back, plays way more than he has any right. It gives me like kind of like dark flashbacks to the days when Northwestern was starting lots of guys like this, and you were like, oh my God, can we get a running back? Um, but with Dudeck out, who was their return man. I mean, he was their athlete on offense. The whole offense is AJ Bush. And 70% of that is him running the ball. Um, and I don't want to sell him short. He's a heck of an athlete. He is a big boy and he will run forward like a battering ram. And him rushing from the quarterback position for 139 yards is the only thing that got Illinois past Kent state. Um, and, and he's a weapon, no doubt about it, but that's it. I mean, like, he can't throw. Um, all of Illinois' passing in this game were quick screens. They were quick screens and pop passes and just trying to get the ball out, out to the wideouts as quickly as possible. They don't have a downfield passing game. Um, they don't have receivers who can go down and get the ball. They just have this bowling ball running, uh, running back playing quarterback. And it was barely enough to get them past Kent State. Uh, Rutgers all over Texas State,
0: 35-7. Cool. Check. Cool.
2: Uh, Iowa. Hey, juxtaposed against Illinois. Rutgers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely better than Illinois. <laughs> uh, Iowa,
0: 33. Northern Illinois, 7. Um, I, I think we all thought Northern Illinois was going to put up a bit more of a challenge. But uh, yeah, good good
1: game by Iowa. Well, um, vaunted quarterback Nate Stanley, <laughs> yeah, best returning quarterback accurate. in the Big Ten West, goes 11 of 23 for 108 yards. Yikes! But uh, Iowa's defense looked absurd, and we—I mean—we talked a lot about all the all the losses they had on that side of the ball. One of the things I want to throw out here: I'm, I've just got like the the Big Ten scoreboard up on ESPN right now. Uh, for so you know, as we're going through these games. And every game has got like a video highlight tagged to it uh, with a little with a little uh, one line descriptor of of that video uh, for Northwesterns you know Northwestern punches it in before halftime. Sometimes it's about the game overall. Michigan State avoids upset in thriller. Um, they, they're all like this, right? Almost. I- Iowa's, however, says, Iowa continues tradition of waving to children at hospital. Like, no <laughs> shit! Of course it is. The greatest thing that's happened at Iowa in however many years. Like, of course they're going to continue waving to the hospital. It'd be... Like, how horrific would it be if they didn't do that? You couldn't come up with another thing to say about this game?
0: And, yeah. you know, to... Know. I- to the, just to speak on that real quick, because... Yeah, you know, I, I watched a little bit of uh, of the highlights of that. Not only is it the fans, but it's all the players, both teams, oh, it's, it, refs, everyone. It's awesome, like everyone. I don't no, know no, if that was everyone last year, but this year, every single person in that stadium is
1: waving to the kids. It's awesome, but the idea that they've continued to do that
2: is the most non-news I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. Look, I look. Scuzz, I don't know what to tell you. They had to do – it uh, like, with the Nebraska game being canceled, that deprived the media of the chance to talk about how somehow Scott Frost and Nate Stanley were both going to win national championships in the same year. And with Frost not even being able to coach that night and Stanley throwing 11 for 23, they had to go somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Cut them a break. Uh, fi- finally, <sighs> Indiana over Florida International 38-28.
0: And that's week one for uh for the Big Ten. Um and any other like top twenty five games, anything else that uh, really kinda
1: caught your eye? Something that we <laughs> uh, need to touch on? Virginia Tech annihilating uh Florida State tonight and LSU annihilating Miami last night. So much for uh for the Florida schools. What's
0: weird about the LSU Miami game, and yeah, that was a butt whooping on the scoreboard. But you you put their stats next to each other and like if you if you just looked at the stat line, you would have thought that game was like a 1 point game. I mean, their stats were almost identical and yet the final score nowhere close. Turnovers. Yeah. Tur- turnovers. Well, actually the turnovers were were pretty close as well. It was special teams. You know, LSU had short short fields for most of the game.
1: Did L- did LSU lose a couple fumbles? No, no, Miami had two picks and LSU didn't have any.
0: Yeah. So just that, that was, that was an interesting note, um, that I noticed real quick, uh, this weekend's games, you know, we talked a little bit about Colorado, Nebraska, um, go Buffaloes, Wisconsin's playing New Mexico. Cool. Um, Michigan is going to vent their frustrations on Western Michigan, um, Purdue, Eastern Michigan—that that should be uh, a chance to right the ship for the Boilermakers. Ohio State, Rutgers—you got another Big Ten game here early. Um, Ohio State still in tech technically. I mean, technically, it'll count in the conference standings. But uh, <laughs> I guess the real question is: Do you take Ohio State minus the thirty-five or? Yeah, yes. no, I think. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, Iowa, Iowa State uh I can't wait to see that'll be yeah I can't wait to yeah, see if uh, Iowa's defense is able to hold up against uh you know Iowa State didn't
1: play this weekend D- but. David David Montgomery the running back of Iowa State is he's awesome. really good um Maryland at Bowling Green um
0: Virginia at Indiana Western Illinois at Illinois
1: oh get that popcorn oh, right yeah baby. yeah come on um, western
0: a, a Solid looking Fresno State team Going up to the Twin Cities to take on the Gophers um, Let's see if uh, go, go, Gophers only favored by two yeah, and a half let's, let's see if that you know High octane Gopher offense That we saw this past weekend Continues or If Zach Anikstad Realizes he is A walk on freshman uh, Quarterback Penn State at Pitt Ooh, Nelly.
1: <laughs> Buckle up, baby. Um I I'm not necessarily calling for an upset, but Pitt shocked the hell out of people against Penn State a couple years ago or almost did a couple years ago. They this this game's a rivalry. They always play it tight. I don't know. I don't know. Narduzzi's been there what, 3 years? This is the this is the year that Pitt should jump up. If uh, Narduzzi is the real deal, their defense is going to be good. Yeah, watch out.
0: And then Michigan State heading down to the desert to take on um, Herm Edwards. And the Arizona State, don't call them devils, Sun Devils. Why do we play? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) To win the game, John. To
1: win the game. (laughs) Oh, that's right. And they they beat the hell out of uh, University of Texas uh, San Antonio last week. Their defense looked amazing. Like, Herm Edwards might be, like, secretly really good at coaching football. I don't know. I'm really intrigued to see uh, what this game looks like. In all probability, Michigan State is going to run them off the field. But um, you just – I don't know. I don't know. Not willing to to bank on that after the the Utah State uh, difficulties.
2: Hey, I'll say this. Has – Has Herm grown a giant white beard that indicates that he's just mailing things in (laughs) day-to-day? A.K.A. the Lovey Smith (laughs) that I'm lucky I rolled out of bed this morning?
1: Oh, no. No, he hasn't. But I'll never forget the video, like, the look on his face when somebody shows him a jersey. And he's like, what is that, a little kid's jersey? And they're like, no, dude, this is the jersey now. (laughs)
2: Oh, It's like it he's, it's like he's been living
1: under a rock and just, like, this coaching savant that's just been lost at sea for however many years. Um, real quick, uh, any other
0: games outside of the conference that uh, kind of peak in your fancy? Um, UCLA did not look good in the first game under Chip Kelly. They're heading to Norman. Chip
1: Kelly going 0-2. <laughs> 0-2, baby.
0: <laughs> um... Yeah, Alabama looks every bit as good as they were last year and Arkansas State is going to feel the wrath of
1: of the tide. USC Stanford should be fun. Clemson and AM I mean, I'll put it I'll put it this way. Uh I don't like either of these coaches. Everybody knows I really dislike Dabo Sweeney. Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher's up there though. I don't know. Um but I'd be
2: shocked if
1: anything other than a Clemson romp occurs in this.
2: I'll, you know what I'll be interested in? Nichols State at Tulane. Because I don't think Tulane's a particularly good football team. And Nichols State beat Kansas. Yeah, last you know game. who's not so it, a good football team? Kansas. <laughs> Kansas. Oh, my God. They may be the worst team in the country um but somehow nickel state i feel like without even being a particularly great fcs team uh could in theory start the season with two fbs wins so i'm rooting for that yeah you you, you uh, mentioned usc stanford that'll be fun 6 p.m eastern saturday
1: night Bo Pelini takes his young town, Youngstown State Penguins into Morgantown, West Virginia, to face the West Virginia Mountaineers. This is an epic matchup. Bo Pelini has a chance to really like put his mark on the world here. Um, I don't know, man. He's not going to West
2: Virginia. <laughs> West Virginia is really pretty good. damn good.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And then Nebraska, Colorado. Uh, I don't think I I don't know that we talked about that in the rundown. We we met, I we
0: you know talked about it early, but uh, yeah, Nebraska, Colorado. I am I'm excited for that. Colorado looked really good last week. You know, Stephen Montez, 22 of 25, four touchdowns, one pick. So I think two of his passes touched the ground, and one was just a horrendous drop. I mean, the running back just wide open in the flat, just. Took his eye off the ball and dropped it, but uh, yeah, Colorado looked real, real good uh, against State. But
2: against that, against that vaunted black shirts defense, though, yeah. it's going to be a very different story.
1: Nebraska's a five and a half point favorite. Okay,
0: I'll, I'll, I'll take those points. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> yes, that's, that's Vegas being super happy that Akron game didn't get played. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: Oh, man. Good times.
0: Well, uh, lest we you know, continue on throughout the entire evening, we should probably just go ahead and leave it there. Um, and as we continue our search for the swoley Grail.
2: So for my final thought, I alluded to it earlier. Uh, this is going to be a rant about the Penn State-App State game. Um, but not just that game. Um, to to fully encompass this rant, we have to go all the way back to the Iowa-Penn State game last year. Because I am just apoplectic that Penn State, two years in a row, has won a football game where for the other team to win, all that had to happen was a player Fall down on the ground. (laughs) Just stop running, fall on the ground, and stay there, and your team will win the game. And somehow, (sighs) Penn State has won, too. Last year, in the Iowa game, late, all Akron Wadley had to do was not go into the end zone. He broke a long run. If he would have just fallen down inside of the five, Iowa could have just wasted clock, kicked a field goal, and won the game. Or gone down at the one and then just gone into the end zone a little bit later but the moment as he was running wadley last year i was yelling go down go down if you score mcsorley's going to get them down the field and that's exactly what happened and this year the exact same thing i was standing outside a full bar in downtown Chicago, because I was down there for a wedding rehearsal dinner that I was delinquent to, uh, and not delinquent to, uh, <laughs> had a delayed arrival for obvious reasons, uh, standing outside of this bar in Old Town look, you know, with a big open window, looking through at this TV, yelling, get down, get down, because the App State running back was about to go into the end zone with, what, a minute and change left, and I was like that Penn State's going to go down and score. If you just go down, you only need a field goal. And worst case scenario, you can bleed clock uh, and get it down to a place where at the very least they have no timeouts in like 40 seconds. And instead he scored, and predictably Penn State did the exact same thing again. I just can't believe Penn State has lucked into two wins in back-to-back seasons. Um, And especially in this case when... We were all deprived of, you know, what almost eleven years to the day since App's big. Um, I think it was eleven years. No, or it longer. was eleven. Gosh, eleven I to the want, day. I was going to say I don't want to. I don't want to date myself. Um, eleven years to the day. App could have done it again, um, and they were deprived only just because their running back, not because of anything Penn State did, just because App State's running back didn't lie down on the ground and stop running. Um, well, so well, well, and this is. The App State one
1: is worse than the Iowa one, and here's why. Iowa was losing when Wadley scored that touchdown, so, and they were down by two. So had he not had he gone down and then they kicked a field goal, they would have only been up one, and if there were maybe like 30 seconds on the clock, that still would have been enough time for or, to Or
0: if the field goal got blocked or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But App State has no excuse because it was a tie game. And right. you just and, like like you like they had to have known if they got to OT they were going to lose. And I'm sure in the heat, of, like in the moment, because this was a, a six yard run too, right? Like Wadley's was a 35 yard run. He had time to think about it. This was like a six yard run. The guy was probably operating on instinct. I actually thought he stepped out, like it, like at the three or four yard line, and apparently he didn't. They didn't even review it. I, I went back
0: and looked at it later. He he was in
1: yeah i it must have just been the angle from the sideline that looked like his foot got close or something but um oh man it would have been it would have been that would have been the greatest thing um since the year that I predicted Penn State would be good in Michigan State would be awful for them to lose their opener to Appalachian State <sighs> C'est la vie say la vie um for my final thought, just a couple interesting coach notes uh Tom Herman quoted of mice and men in his post-game press conference <laughs> what? where he talked about yeah he talked about like they wanted to win so bad uh that they they got in their own way a little bit he said he said lenny wanted so badly to touch the rabbit and play with the rabbit he squeezes it so hard he killed the rabbit that's a quote from of mice and men uh or at least a description of it and he he he, he thought that they wanted it so bad that they um yeah, uh, <laughs> sure. Okay. So Tom Herman, Buckeye, um, and then the other one I'll note is uh, Ed Ogeron, Coach the coach at uh, at LSU. The you know a guy that basically if they don't do well this season, they're they're going to fire him. Um, it's probably still true, but to come out and absolutely annihilate Miami, a team that was ranked in the top ten, ye. Uh, similar to Michigan, also a team that's lost their last four games. So, you know, j- just a great win for him. I think we all have a lot of fond thoughts about Ogeron and just how entertaining he is and his colloquialisms. And, and he just, like, he was he was born to coach the LSU Tigers, et cetera. So um, good on good on him for getting that win, uh, and I hope LSU continues to have a, a reasonable season for his sake.
0: Uh, for my final thought, I want to mention a few uh, Northwestern uh, NFL players, uh, guys who you know we, we've been keeping our eyes on, um, you know, just got word. So Justin Jackson made the initial 53-man roster for the Chargers, but uh, was just cut today as the Chargers were bringing Antonio Gates back uh, from retirement. Um, you'd imagine that the Chargers are going to want to put J.J. on the practice squad. We'll see what happens uh, if he even clears waivers. Uh, Speaking of waivers, um, the Vikings cut Fadi Adenabo with the intention of putting him on the practice squad, except the Cleveland Browns had other ideas and uh, signed them straight to the 53-man roster. Uh, Ibrahim Campbell uh, was signed by the Cowboys in much the same way. Uh, You got some guys making the practice squads. Kyle Caro on the Cowboys squad. Tyler Lancaster made the Packers practice squad. uh, Garrett Dickerson on the Giants and uh, Godwin Igubike on the Buccaneers. Uh, again, you know, it's only right that Godwin went to Tampa. His cousin uh, played for Tampa as well. Um, I haven't seen the Vikings QB depth chart, but there was some question on whether or not Trevor was going to be the number two uh, behind Kirk Cousins. I, I guess uh, Kyle Sloter had a pretty solid uh, preseason and may have passed him. I, I'm not sure if that, um, what ended up happening on that front, but in uh, uh, Joseph Jones made the Broncos final 53. So, uh, very happy to see, uh, a Northwestern wildcat playing for my Broncos. Um, you know, he had a wonderful year, special teams last year, and that's where they're looking for him to shine again this year. So,
1: so as of yesterday, uh, based on a couple that I'm looking at, Simeon's still the number two, um,
0: Austin Carr made the saints. Which will be amazing to see another picture of Drew Brees wearing purple. Um, <laughs> That's right. As, as hopefully that, uh, that'll that continue to just elicit smiles after smiles from all of us Northwestern faithful. Uh, and finally, before we go, I uh, do have some uh, housekeeping to mention uh, due to an unfortunate situation of parking. uh Passes and the number of people donating money to the uh, athletic department in order to secure basketball tickets, our tailgate has been bumped from the west parking lot to the uh, central golf lot. Um, so anyone looking for us in the west parking lot, uh, if you're looking for the red pirate flag, uh, you're going to have to go east a little bit. Normally we've been on the 50-yard line extended to the west of the stadium now we're gonna be on the 50 yard line extended east of the stadium uh, into the golf lot uh, just north of Central Avenue um, that's where we're gonna be uh, making our tailgate we'll still have the red pirate flag up there uh, we're not changing the name of the podcast because that's just too much to uh, you know, too many t-shirts and other fancy items that might be coming down the pike to uh, to redesign and you know we've got our Little trademark on the Westlaw Pirates. So we're, we're sticking with that, but, uh, look for us in the central golf lot, uh, this year for our, uh, Westlaw Pirates tailgate. So, um, I'll, I'll mention that a few more times, uh, in the next couple of weeks. You know, I'm still not a hundred percent sure what it all looks like because, you know, we've never been in the golf lot before. It's always been in the Westlaw. So, and if anyone from the Northwestern Athletic Department listening uh, wants to, you know, throw us a Westlot pass, uh, we certainly wouldn't turn it down. <laughs> uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, you can head to our website, WestlawPirates.com, to leave comments and questions. You can he- uh, call us on our, our voicemail line, 847 That's 847-231-CATS. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Pirates. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the golf lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag. Because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scousble, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.